Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today I really want to talk about not letting the good cars get away. Now, I'm sure you've looked for certain cars, uh, certain categories of cars, or specific cars that you tried to find, you didn't find one you liked, and then you kind of gave up, and then the prices changed. They went up. I've had this happen to me several times with really cool, amazing cars that I wanted to own, and now I'm kind of priced out of the market. Either it's more money than I want to spend, or I just can't afford it. It's above my pay grade. So today I want to talk about some of the cars and categories that I missed out on, and how I would approach that differently if I had a do-over, which I don't. But you do, if you're moving forward from this point, you have a chance to learn from my mistakes and maybe do something different, do something better. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about the fact that a tree fell on our cars in the driveway a couple of months back, and it uh, totaled one of our cars and damaged another one, actually damaged two other ones. And so, you know, the, the damaged ones have to be repaired, and the total one eventually needs to be replaced. And <laughs> finding that replacement has been a little bit tough, right? Trying to figure out what are we going to do, what's going to be the mix of cars. We're sort of in that point where it's just my wife and I, and we don't really need a lot of cars, but I like cars, so I want to have, like, a lot of cars. But I'm not Jay Leno, so I can't, you know, can't really afford to have tons and tons of cars. That'd be the perfect world, but, you know, got to win the lottery for a store. You know, make this podcast into a million-dollar-a-year thing, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Getting realistic, I have to look at the situation and say, what am I going to do for the next car? So we have a Mazda Miata, 1994 Miata, and we have a 2008 Audi S4 Wagon. Two great cars, and technically they're both, quote-unquote, my cars. My wife's Toyota, it was a Highlander. That was the one that got totaled. So we've been looking for a replacement. She's like, well, I could drive the, I could drive the Audi, and you could get something else. But she also wants me to sell off the, the Mazda to fund this new car or truck or whatever it is. So recently I've been geeking out on the 1997 through 2006 Wrangler TJs the Jeep Wrangler. Love those. Always wanted to have one. Never had one. Driven quite a few uh, and always been like, yeah, this is fun. But it's a different kind of fun than a sports car. It's not an S4 wagon and it's not a Miata, right? They handle differently and they can go everywhere. That's the cool thing about them. You take them on an adventure off-road. So, you know, maybe it's time to do something different. Anyway, I think I sort of manifested a car in my life that I probably should should have gone to look at, should have maybe gone and bought it. And this was about three weeks ago. It was at a dealership that was about, I want to say, 80 miles away. So it was about an hour and a half drive. We had a lot of snow at the time. Um, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and it's not typically snowing this time of year, but we definitely had a lot of snow. And I, when I say a lot of snow, it's like, you know, three, four inches um, and it would kind of come and go, and it was sort of like, okay, I'm going to go this day, or I'm going to go that day. And I have a snow car, right? The Audi's got snow tires, and it, it gets around just fine. But I knew it would make the drive longer. So I had like a, about an hour and a half one way, so three hour, three and a half hour round trip. 
And then I'd have time at the dealership. And it wasn't a dealer. It wasn't through a private party. And so I kept putting it off. And I kept thinking, well, I, you know, I want my wife to drive it too. And, you know, she's busy during the week. And so I missed two weekends where the thing was still for sale. And I remember looking at it and thinking, this is this is a car that got traded in. They had no pictures of it. Um, it was one of those moments where you're kind of looking at the car and you're thinking, this is probably one of the best cars in the category because it was a 2004. It had just over 100,000 miles, like 101,000 miles. Uh, it was an automatic, which I was okay with for this particular car. And it was the longer wheelbase, they call it the LJ or it's the Wrangler TJ Unlimited. It's not the four door, but it's got two doors and an extra 10 inches of wheelbase and an additional 15 inches overall length. So a little bit longer. I like the look of the shorter ones. You know, perfect car for me would be a Wrangler Rubicon in the TJ series. I guess a perfect car might be the Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon in the TJ series. But really, I like the look of the shorter wheelbase, but the longer wheelbase has more room and kind of makes more sense for our lifestyle. You could actually tow a trailer with this thing. It's got 3,500-pound towing capacity. And when I say a trailer, I mean something you could actually, the two of us could travel in and, and you know, stay overnight in, that sort of thing. Otherwise, it's a 2,000-pound trailering capacity, which is really okay for pulling a couple of motorcycles or something, but it's not going to be great for pulling a, a larger trailer. It's not going to pull anything big at 3,500 pounds, but you could do some decent travel with that. But I didn't go look at it. I kept talking myself out of it. I kept thinking, okay, oh, I guess I'll go today, but I really want my wife to drive it. And she can't go today, so I'll put it off. You know, it's still there. It's not going to go anywhere. It's snowing. People aren't looking at it. Well, I'm an idiot because this is a popular car. The only thing that was keeping somebody from looking at it sooner was the fact that they didn't put any pictures up of it, and they didn't really promote the fact that it was the longer wheelbase version, which is popular, because they didn't make a lot of them. So if you want one, you have to kind of move quickly. Anyway, I didn't go look. The price was really good, um, and the car was sold. And then I started to regret it. I was like, <laughs> I should have gotten to look at that car. And here's the thing. The biggest reason why I didn't go look was I knew that if I went and looked at it, I probably would have bought it. We had the cash from our insurance settlement, so I, I had the money. I could just hand them a check and be done. I knew I would have bought the car, and that would have meant that I had to make some decision on what to do with the other cars. Sell one, sell both, right? And I wasn't ready to do that. So this is really putting yourself in that mindset of being ready to make the purchase. And not just from the money standpoint, because I had that. It's really from the standpoint of mentally, are you ready? And I wasn't ready mentally to actually make that choice. So long story short, I mean, I just, I didn't buy the car. And now I'm looking back and thinking that was the perfect moment. Now I didn't actually see pictures of the car and because I didn't go look at it, I don't really know 100% if it was the perfect one, right? It had a hard top, it had air conditioning, it had all the stuff that I wanted on the car. So I know it had that stuff, but I don't really know. I, I mean, it could have had a rusty frame. It could have had some damage. It could have had some other things. So I'm kind of consoling myself by saying, well, you don't really know for sure if it was great. But I do know the price was good. It was $14,000, $13,900 or something like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm living with this regret, and it's because I really wasn't ready. So that's one of the things you really want to do is you want to be ready. Not just have your cash in hand, but be mentally ready to make that 
that choice, right? But over time, there's been some really big ones that I've missed out on. Um, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, really, I was very excited to get a BMW 3 Series, an E30 3 Series BMW. The focus of my attention was really on the 325iS, and those cars were available uh, in the U.S. market from 1987 to 1991. It's a wonderful car. It's very balanced, like kind of a 50-50 weight distribution, all independent suspension, kind of an upright seating position, lots of glass area so you can see out of them. And if you get one, again, in the 325iS form, it's a six-cylinder, I think it's 168 horsepower, five-speed manual transmission, just a wonderful car, really balanced, really fun to drive. And several times I actually went and test drove some. I also went and test drove an E30 M3. That's the very first BMW M series car sold in the US. And the M3 was great. The problem was most of the ones I was test driving were junk. They were $15,000 cars, you know, 10, 12, $15,000. And they were kind of ratty, kind of run hard and put away wet. But if you start to look at the prices of those today, you know, I should have bought one. Because I was looking at cars that they had some issues. They had some, maybe some needed paint work. Maybe they'd been in an accident. Maybe they had high miles. And the price reflected that at the time. Uh, again, twelve dollars to $15,000 was the asking price. But an M3 in that condition today would be selling for $60,000, $80,000. Yeah, seriously. A number three condition, which is like a driving condition car, according to Haggerty's valuation tool, Haggerty.com is the website for Haggerty Insurance Company, and I insure my Mazda Miata with Haggerty, uh, and this isn't a plug for them. I use it because it's cheaper, and they give me better coverage than my regular insurance company, so I use that. Uh, it's mostly for classic cars, but they also do some, you know, some daily driver stuff if it's sort of a near classic. Anyway, they have a valuation tool on their website, and if you have um, access to it like I do because I'm a customer— you can go in and check valuation moving back in time and a what they call a number three or good condition car. It's kind of a driver type car, a BMW M3. And this is, I priced out a 1990 model. Uh, it's $92,000. And I was looking at versions that were, you know, $12,000. <laughs> you know, if I bought one, I'd be sitting on a ton of cash right now. Even if I didn't do anything to it, if I just drove it. Now, you'd have to maintain it, of course, but, you know, who knew at the time that they were going to be worth that much money? In a Concours condition one, they're rating it at almost $260,000, a quarter million dollars for one of those cars. This is a four-cylinder, 192 horsepower, two-door coupe. You know, it's a rally homologation special. Great cars. They handle amazing. But $260,000? I didn't see that train coming. But now I priced out of the market. It's above my pay grade. There was a time when I could have bought one, a time when I really seriously considered buying one, but I didn't get it. And today it's too late. Now, there's some other ones. Uh, the 325iS is another one that I mentioned. Um, looking at the prices for those, yeah, they've kind of gone from hmm, being around ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 not that long ago. Really, back in 2021, 2020, you could pick one up for about $12,000 in good driver condition. And today, those cars are about $25,000. So they've doubled in price in a very short period of time. You know, what is that, three years? Yeah, three years, 
during the pandemic, everybody got excited about buying classic-ish cars, and the price doubled. Could I afford it? Yes, I could afford it. But the reality is, once that car has become $25,000, I'm going to look at other options. So I probably won't get an E33 series BMW. You know, unless one just kind of falls in my lap. You know, I find a grandma that I never knew I had. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Gary, I really want you to have my 325 IS, my 1988 model. It's not going to happen. I don't have a rich neighbor who's just going to hand me one. It's not going to happen. So I'm probably not going to get one of those. And I'm okay with that. But looking back on it, I, I wish I would have maybe moved on one of those sooner. Even if I had one for a year or two and then just sold it. So that's another thing, you know, making room in your life for another car. If you can't afford to have 10 cars, if you're not Jay Leno, you don't have a garage and a bunch of mechanics who keep track of your 100 or 200 or 300 cars. Um, I'm not that guy. Uh, I, we've had up to six cars, but that's because two of them were hand-me-downs. They were free, and you know, I just happened to have a, an extra car in the garage from that I'd owned for years. But most of the time, you know, we've had two, three, four cars max. And that's because we had literally four drivers. We don't right now. Our kids are off to college, so they're not at home anymore. So we're down to two. Anyway, there's some regrets there that uh, if if I'd done it differently, I think I would open up some space in my life and not keep some of the cars that I've had as long as I had them and really just replace them with something else. Just for the experience. Because when you start to think about it, if you can't afford to have, you know, again, 10 or 15 cars, if you could make room... You can have a lot of variety, keep the car for two years, three years, drive it. But a lot of the cars I have right now, I have two cars. Again, the Mazda, I've had it for 12 years, no, 10 years, sorry. And I've had the uh, Audi for 12. You know, I could have gotten a lot of that experience in like three or four years and moved on to something else. And probably I should have. So something to think about in your world. Now, another regret I have in terms of cars is the Nissan Z cars. So I wanted to have a 240Z for years and many, many times, <laughs> I probably at least a dozen times, I went out and literally test drove old 240Zs. This is the 1970 through 73 cars. Um, ideally, you'd have a 70 or a 71 because that's the first year and they had a little bit different uh, carburation and heads and that sort of stuff that seemed to be a little bit more desirable. But really, you can work out any of the problems on any year of the car. So um, I would even consider a, like a 1974 260Z, which was a one-year car here in the U.S. Uh, and then it went to a 280. But those first, you know, three, four years of that car are great. And I test drove many of them. Some were, you know, completely stock. Some were what would be called a resto mod. So they were sort of modified. They had five-speed transmissions, not not the stock four-speed. Uh, they had maybe flared fenders. They had some other stuff that made them, you know, a little more boy racer kind of cars, but they were still fun. Uh, they would have been a great car to have. And I just never pulled the trigger. I always kind of figured, uh, you know, I guess I'll wait a year. I'll wait a year. I'll wait a year. Well, you know, I waited too many years. Way too many years. And now it's gotten to the point where I look at a 240Z and I think, okay, a 240Z, just, you know, kind of a driver quality car, is about 30000 It went They went all the way up to like 36000 about a year ago, year and a half ago. And they've dropped back a bit on price. And again, this is for just a driver quality car. It's not like a show car. It's not a um, somebody that's going to win a car show. 
those cars are going to be more like, you know, 80 to 100,000. There have been Z cars, 240Zs, that have sold for over 100,000, sold for way over $100,000. So, <laughs> you know, that stuff's out there. But the typical Z that would be a nice driver would be, you know, 30, 35,000. I've got a lot of other choices at thirty to 35000 and if I came home with a 50-year-old car, because that's what they are now, 50 years old, my wife would come unglued. Yeah, we have a long conversation about me moving out, and I don't want to have that. So and not only that, I just wouldn't do it. It just not. It doesn't make any sense to be spending that much money on a car that's that old, unless you're simply looking at it as an investment. But you never really know. The car market's kind of funny. You don't really know when a car is going to go up in value. For example, I owned a 1991 Mitsubishi Galant VR4, and this is a rally homologation special. I did an episode on this, um, I think it was like episode 15 or something. Great car. I owned it for 16 years, or bought it in 2000, and it had 92,000 miles on it. The first couple of years, I put a lot of miles on it because I was commuting back and forth from between Portland and Seattle, Washington. And... That car, when I sold it, and I sold it on bringatrailer.com, uh, had 200 and, I want to say, 19,000 miles. So I put 127,000 miles on it. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a show car, but it was in really, really nice condition. I did rebuild the motor um, at 175,000 miles. I put a different turbo on it. Uh, the turbo just got old over time. But I always sort of expected that car to go up in value because it is a rally homologation special. And those tend to be very popular. An E30 M3 is a rally homologation special. Well, the Galant never really went up in value. I bought it for about 6000 and I sold it for about 6000 Now, some people might say, oh, you did great. You sold it for what you paid for it. Well, there's this thing called inflation. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that, but no. If I sold it for what I paid for it, I probably would have got about 10000 for it. And if I made money, I would have gotten about, you know, 15 or 20 but it never happened. Now, in the last couple of years, the prices on those have gone up somewhat. Um, I think that car would probably sell today for more like ten or twelve thousand, maybe double what it was. But I sold it in twenty sixteen. That was what six years ago. So, yeah, and sadly, it burned up in a garage fire down in California. I feel bad for the the guy who bought it, but. I feel worse that I actually sold it because I sold it thinking, oh, my kids are going to drive it and maybe ruin it. And I, I don't want to have to feel bad about it. Now I can just feel bad about somebody else ruining the car, right? But the point I'm trying to make is I thought that car would go up in value and it didn't. So if you're buying a car as an investment, unless you really, really know the market, you should probably not count on that. You should just buy it and drive it because you like it. That's the most important thing. So back to the 240Z. I missed out on the 240Z, the original, and then I started looking at the, the Z32. This is the 300ZX that was sold in the U.S. between 1990 and 1996. And not too long ago, just like two, three years ago, I was thinking to myself, I should pick one of these up because they're really affordable and get rid of the Audi maybe and just use it as a daily driver. They're actually pretty cheap. They were, you know, six to $8,000 for the normally aspirated 300ZX, you can either get it with a hard top or with a, a T-top and manual transmission. And just, you know, kind of a great, fun car from that era. They look great. They handled well. Just lovely and really not expensive. 
And I stumbled upon one one day. I was just doing my regular, you know, searching through Craigslist. And this was January 30th of 2020. I should have bought this car. Literally, this is the one car that I probably regret not buying. And it was a 1996, had 63,000 original miles. It was the commemorative edition. So it's was number 198 of 300. And the asking price was $6,900. $6,900. And this car was in virtually perfect condition. I'll, I'll read the ad to you here. 1996 Nissan 300ZX. This car is number 198 of 300. Family-owned since new. V6 engine, five-speed manual transmission, very low miles, 63,000 original miles. Air conditioning, power steering, power brakes, blah, blah, blah. Has the Bose sound system, T-top, leather seats, all maintenance done by Nissan. So done, you know, factory maintenance. Well taken care of in every possible way. Pleasure-driven only and adult-driven only. No oil leaks, no engine noise. Runs great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, never been in a wreck. I don't want to sell, but bought a bigger vehicle for the family, and it just sits in the garage. Please, no tire kickers. Uh, welcome to come by and see it anytime. Asking 6900 And I found this car. It had been posted up on Craigslist for about 45 minutes. And I was pretty sure that I would have been the very first one to contact them. So I looked at it and looked at it, and I remember thinking, I should, oh, I should do this. I should do this. Even my fingers sort of hovering over the phone, like, I'm going to call this guy. But you know what? I didn't. I talked myself out of it because I knew, again, this was this dumb thing where I wasn't ready to get rid of the other cars. I knew I would have to like change up everything if I did this. But I do regret not doing it because I think this would have been a great car just to drive for a while. And it was literally priced at about half of what it should have been, even at that particular time. So it was priced at $6,900, like I said. And January of 2020, according to the Haggerty website, a number three or good condition car was priced at $11,200. But I think this car was actually worth more than that. I think it was probably between a number three condition, which is a good condition car, and a number two condition, which is an excellent condition car. And Haggerty at the time, January of 2020, rated those at $17,000. So this was probably a $14,000 car. So again, it was probably worth about double what they were asking for it. So minimally, I could have bought it, turned it, and made a profit, right? Just you know, keep it for a couple of months and sell it. Uh, I probably would have had people call me at you know, $10,000 or $12,000. But I didn't do that. I didn't do it. And now, what, three years later, a good condition car is now rated at $13,400, and an excellent condition car is $24,000. So literally, I could have tripled the money on that car if I'd bought it. So if you're like me, and you've got a couple of cars, but you've got to move one along to bring in something new into your life, maybe it's time to do that. Maybe it's time to make that choice and make that happen, right? So how would I approach this if I had a chance to do it differently today? Well, in episode two and episode 40, I talk about the five essential rules to help you find a cool used car you love. All right. And the rules are pretty simple. First one is know your budget. Okay. Know what you can spend. Number two is know what you want. That's really mission critical. You got to know what you want. Otherwise, it's really hard to find it. Right. Number three is be realistic about your search so you stay focused on the car you're trying to find. Uh, the number four is be patient because sometimes it's just going to take time to find something. 
And number five is be ready. And everything I'm talking about today is be ready. So in these scenarios I've been talking about, for me, I knew that I wanted a 240Z, a 300ZX, an E30 BMW, right? I knew what I wanted. I also had a budget, okay? And I was focused and I was patient and I eventually found cars that I wanted and I went and drove them, but I wasn't really ready to buy. And that's not because I didn't have the money. I had the money to do that. I was literally ready to pull the trigger. But in every single case I talked about, again, the BMW, the 240Z, the Jeep Wrangler, and there's been others as well, I wasn't ready to sell the cars that I own. I wasn't ready to make a change. I hadn't mentally gotten to that point where I'm like, you know what, I can let this go and bring in something new. And I needed to do that. So first of all, to be ready to go, to be ready to purchase, you need to have the money ready, right? You need to have your financing in order, whatever, however you're going to pay for this car, you need to have that ready. You need to make sure that you have sign off from your partner. So, you know, if you go look at something like, oh, I really want to get a 2011 Mustang and your significant other is more interested in a minivan because you've got little kids and you've got to put a car seat in the back. Well, you're going to have a struggle getting that sold, right? You're going to have a struggle having them sign off on that. It's not going to happen. So make sure your partner's on board with that if you have one. If you don't, hey, good for you. Um, Another thing you want to do is you want to make sure you're mentally ready, especially, like I said, if you have to give up a car to buy the one you want to buy next. And then finally, assuming all those things are in order, you want to move quickly. And while I've moved quick enough to go look at certain cars, I didn't move quickly on that 300ZX. I mean, I just kind of hesitated. And I knew if I hesitated more than 30 minutes, I probably wasn't going to get it. And I actually never called. So, you know, uh, it's not like I came that close and I just missed out. It was more like I withdrew from the program. I didn't make the call. So that's kind of dumb. I regret that now. But, you know, that's what I did. And in terms of the Jeep, I had about a week's window to go look at it. And I just didn't pull the trigger. Again, because I wasn't ready to move those other cars along. That was my problem. So don't make the mistakes that I have made. Have your money ready. Have your financing ready to go so you can make the purchase. Make sure you have sign-off from your partner. You know, don't wait to the last minute and go, well, i got to ask my wife or i got to ask my husband. No. <laughs> make sure you got that beforehand. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on something. Also, make sure you're mentally ready, especially if you have to give up a car to buy the next one, right? Make sure you're ready to let that other one go. And finally, move quickly once you find the right car. Don't do what I did. Don't hesitate. Just go. Just do it. So, there you have it. I'm a dummy. (laughs) Don't do what I did. Don't be a ding-dong, okay? Well, thanks for listening, and... If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and follow this podcast so I can keep bringing you reviews of cool used cars, trucks, and SUVs each week at a price you'll love. And if you haven't had a chance to check out my five simple rules to finding a cool used car that you love, go check out episode two or episode 40. I cover the same material in each of those episodes, so definitely worth a recap if you're currently in the market to find a car. It might help you make the right choice and be ready to buy when you find a car that's great. And again, thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.